I would invite you, if you have a copy of God's Word, you have a Bible with you, to find 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 will be a little bit everywhere this morning as we tackle this issue, but that will be our base text for this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. I still remember as a young, curious adolescent spending the night at my friend's house, and before we got there, he told me about these magazines that he had acquired, and it piqued my curiosity. I was already curious in that moment because of things that were happening in my life, but I'm particularly interested in seeing the content of what he described. And I remember when the house was quiet and everyone was busy doing what they were doing, I went to his room and found these and partook and look at, looked at what was in there, things that my eyes had not seen up until that point that I'd only imagined. And I thought, once this is this one time, I said, I'll fulfill my curiosity and I'll never do this again. But little did I know the next several years what they would look like in this ongoing battle and struggle where the Apostle Paul's words would ring true, I do the very thing that I hate. Who will save me from this body of death? And I know since that time in our world it's become more and more accessible than ever has been. But this morning, I not, my desire is not to give you a bunch of facts, although I will give you a few Facts about the devastating impact on the world that pornography has brought, bringing shame, exploitation, horrors of all different kinds, terrible things done to people in the image of God, and those who are made in the image of God viewing these things. Today, I don't want to focus so much on the world that is out there, but how the world has come in here. How it's made its way into the church of God today. The devastating effects it has brought to individuals here in this church, to families here in this church, and continues to do so today. And perhaps you're caught in the thick of it right now. In the cords of pornography and you feel like I can never break free from this. Let me tell you today, there's grace for you. There is grace for you, grace to forgive you, grace to restore you, to restore you to those that you have hurt, to restore you to God, and not just grace to forgive you, but grace that is able to help you in the fight. Grace that enables you now to train you to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-control, an upright and godly life in this present age that is possible for you this morning, even if it doesn't feel like it. And so I want to bring to bear what the Bible says about sexual immorality, in that it condemns it, 
but also gives great hope and redemption for the sinner who is caught up in it so that the sinner itself does not face condemnation but has victory. But I want to start by expanding our definitions just a little bit. Now, if you're here this morning, you're thinking, well, I don't struggle with that. I don't Google things. I don't watch explicit videos. This isn't really for me. Maybe I can listen in and help someone else who is going through this. But I want to expand how we think about this just a little bit. Pornography is two words put together, and it means sex writings. That's what the word means. So it's not just images, it's not just videos, but anything in our lives that we look to to awaken and to satisfy evil desires. Now, I begin to notice in the church and in my own life that we're really good at indulging in things as long as it's not too extreme that it makes us feel bad afterwards. And I want to speak to that to, to you today, not just the heavy things, but the things that we just let into our lives to the point where that doesn't really bother us, that we can take that second glance at the pool. We hear that story on the news that doesn't even have an image, but tells us about things that gets us excited about stories that are happening the TV shows that are dramas, that have a really good story, but we know there's explicit content in those, and we're kind of looking forward to seeing it. Or a romantic story that is different, that doesn't have any images at all, but is different than the one that you're living in, and it excites you. Or searching on social media without really searching. Just scrolling, hoping and happening that I'll come across something that I can say I wasn't searching for that. It just happened to me. When in reality, we are searching, just not to the point where we feel bad about it. Well, the question can arise, come on, man, is, is pornography really wrong? 45% of the world's population in the U.S. would agree with you on that. 45% say that it's actually harmless. It doesn't do any harm. Now, I don't want you to laugh at this next statistic. I want you to just let it sink in, okay? 55% of teens say it's worse to not recycle than to look at explicit content. This is the world that we live in. It's just become a part of the culture. That's what we do. But what does the Bible have to say about it? What's God's plan for us in this area? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says this. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That sanctification means growing in Christ, growing in holiness, that you abstain, that you stay away from sexual immorality. So what is God's will for me? Purity to not be near sexual immorality. Now, if you look at that, as you see the word sexual immorality, that's actually the Greek word porneia. And that's the word that we get pornography from. Now, he's not talking about just adultery, not talking about just cheating on a spouse. He's talking about any and all kinds of sexual sin outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's everything included in here that is included in this 
word. And Paul says, abstain from these things. And this is God's will is for you to do so. He impacts us even a little bit further when he talks about the Christian life in Ephesians 5, verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you or is not even a, should even be a hint among you, as other passages say, as it is not proper among the saints, that it is not proper among Christians. So Paul is not saying, I'm not only talking about the deep stuff, I'm talking about those desires that are everywhere. It shouldn't even be a hint of those things that are around you. And so in our passage this morning, I want to give us just some important things on the outset, and then three truths that will flow out of uh, this morning that I think will be beneficial and helpful to us as we think about this in our world today and in our lives as a church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. I'm going to read this. Listen in. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up by his power our bodies. You see that God doesn't care about just your soul, but also your body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall they then take the members of Christ to make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is God's word. We do well to listen to it today. Let's ask his blessing on it together. Father in heaven, I pray that your word would guide us by your spirit into all truth, that you would take what is yours and make it known to us, and that we would come to know you as a result and come to be more like you if we do know you. Bless us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So two things from the outset here that's good for us to know when we think about sex and pornography. Sex is not just an appetite like food. Sex is not just an appetite like food. He says that at the beginning of this passage here. He says, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. Now, the city of Corinth was a highly energized sexual culture, much like ours is today. Perhaps I would say even more. And this would have been a common saying. Stomach is for food. The body is for sex. This would have been what they were saying. It would have been very common. That sounds very modern, doesn't it? It's just like an appetite for a plate of nachos. When I want to have some nachos, I go and I order some. And in the same way, when I want to do things with my body, I just do them because it's an appetite that I have within me. C.S. Lewis speaks of this. He says, if that were true, 
Wouldn't the dorm rooms of the colleges be filled with pictures of food on the walls? Wouldn't people walk around and go, wow, what a nice uh, piece of pizza you have on your wall? Wouldn't that be what, he is, what was going on here? He says, no, you see the difference, that it is not the same thing as eating. Paul also points out to us here that sexual sin is in a category all by itself. Do you catch this? Sexual sin is not just like every other sin. Paul says here, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So sexual sin always starts in the mind, but Paul shows us that it's not just mental, it's not just spiritual, but unlike every other sin, it's also a sin against your own flesh, against your own body. John MacArthur says, sexual sin is not necessarily the worst sin, but is the most unique sin in its character. Its misuse corrupts us to the deepest level. So as if to say that this, this sin does not condemn us more than other sins, but you see the effect of it so much deeper than the others, don't you? The broken marriages, the loss of ministries, perhaps even sometimes the loss of a job, your ineffectiveness, you in, your enslavement to this addiction. It is in a, a sin in the category all of its own because of the effect that it has on us. But if we're not careful, we could think that pornography is the issue, and if we could just get rid of that, then everything would be okay. If we could just remove that, then we wouldn't have any problems. Well, that's wrong. And this is what I want to submit to us this morning. Pornography is the fruit, not the root. Pornography is the fruit, not the root. Or, and another way to say it is, pornography is the result, not the cause of problems. It's the result, not the cause of problems. And here's the first one for us to know this morning. Pornography is a result of a broken relationship. Pornography is the result of a broken relationship. God gave sexuality as his good gift to us, but we have vandalized it. We've destroyed it and made it our own, what we wanted to do with it. My second grade teacher was awesome. Her name was Mrs. Biggs. And she knew that as a second grader, I was struggling in mathematics more than anyone else in the class. And so she thought she would give me a helpful tool that would, I could take home with me. And they were, they were these cassette tapes. And I could listen to them while I was in the car or at home. And what they did was they put subtraction, uh, they put subtraction different uh, equations to music, to different drum beats, trying to make mathematics seem like it was fun. And so what they would do is the songs went something like this. It went uh, like, uh, it was called Subtraction Action is for You. And it went... 8 minus 3 is 5, 4 minus 4 is 0, 5 minus 3 is 2, subtraction action is for you. And I remember listening to that a couple of different times and thinking, okay, that's great, but you know what would be a lot more fun? Is if I put the wrong answers in there instead of the wrong ones, instead of the right ones. So I would sing it, 8 minus 3 is 0, 4 minus 4 is 1, you know, 8 minus 3 is 2, subtraction action is for you. And I just thought it was hilarious. But I remember this, they had a catchy tune. And I was sitting at my desk at school one time, and I start humming this song. My teacher looks over, it's like, 
hmm, uh, look at this. My education on these kids is paying off. And then I started to sing it. And I, Eight minus three is zero, four minus four. And she came over and she's like, why would you do that? <laughs> so I gave you that to help you for your good and you have destroyed it. And I just looked at her and I said, because I wanted to. In the same, not quite in the same way, but God gives us his good gifts for our good, for our benefit. And we say, nah, I'm going to twist it for my own desires. Because of a broken relationship with God, because of sinfulness, we twist God's good gifts and make them for ourselves. You see, because God gave physical intimacy to be in a marriage relationship as a beautiful expression of intimacy and full commitment. So in reality, sex inside marriage is a picture of the relationship of Christ and his church. You don't believe me? Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to a prostitute becomes one in body with her? For as it is written, he's speaking of the marriage from the beginning in Genesis, he's quoting here, the two become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. You see, this is a little hard to understand, but it's beautiful that when you come to know Christ, you're unified to him in every single way, both spiritually and, yes, even physically. And this very text tells us that the Spirit of God makes his home, his residence within us. We become the temple. And so when we come to know Christ, here's what happens. Christ fully knows us more than anyone ever does. He says, I'm going to know every single thing about you. But at the very same time, Christ says, and I'm fully committed to you. When I find out the bad stuff that I already know and those things come to bear, I'm not going anywhere. We are forever connected What is the church of God called in the scriptures? The body of Christ. It's also called the bride of Christ. So the marriage relationship points us to a greater relationship between Christ and his church. And here's what happens in in a marriage relationship. At its core, what God intended it to be was total commitment and total intimacy to be fully known and fully loved. And if you can love someone this way and experience the benefits of being with that person fully, he says this is a reminder of what it's going to be like someday when you stand face to face before Jesus and he loves you in a way that you never could love a spouse. How you should have, but he will love you in this moment now and in the future. So sex, in a sense, is a signpost, Tim Keller points out to us, of our relationship with Christ. It's the last day of the fair today, and if you were to get on 235 and you would see the sign on university that says, Iowa State Fair, exit here, you would see all the cars lining up and you'd know that the fair was close by. So Paul is saying, in, when you had to have intimacy the way it's designed, it points you to what a relationship that you have with God himself. 
This is why it's so important for us to talk to kids about the beauty of sex and intimacy in marriage. Why it's so very important. I was such a curious kid growing up. And I wanted to know these things. That why are these desires within me? And I turned to the world to find these things. If we aren't having not just one talk, but continual talks with our children about God's design, that no question is off the table, that we're constantly talking about these things, about what God's plan is, that's what God wants. The Bible is not silent about sexuality. It talks about it very openly. He doesn't secretly whisper about it in a corner. That's not the intention. It's God's beautiful design for us in his church within the context of marriage. But here's the problem. What we have done is we've taken the signpost and we've made it the destination. We've built our lives around the signpost. You get off on that interstate and you see that, uh, the Iowa State Fair sign and you say, oh, look, let's get out. And you're on the side of the road and you're like, kids, jump out. And there's cars running by and you're like, well, where's the butter cow? This doesn't look anything like the fair, right? Because we've made what God doesn't want to be ultimate, but points you ultimate, the ultimate thing in our lives, and that's where it becomes wrong. That's where it becomes dangerous. We must remember that all of our longings, even our desires, are for a greater desire, a relationship that we were supposed to have with Jesus, but because our relationship was broken, we don't have Now, very practically, number two, we need to understand that pornography is the result of dwelt on sinful desire or the result of dwelling on sinful desire. So this summer, I had the opportunity to speak at a couple different places. And when you speak beyond uh, what's, what's required of you of the church and things like that, those places will often pay you for your time. And I've done that a lot. And usually the honorariums that I get, I take them home and I pay off some kind of bill that I owe, right? But this time I thought, you know what? I'm going to enjoy the fruit of my labor a little bit and buy something with what I received. And I've been getting into running, and I'm really tired of the Bluetooth headphones that I've had. Now, the problem is that I usually buy them at TJ Maxx, which is the wrong place to buy Bluetooth headphones, right? Get what you pay for. But they were always breaking, weren't pairing right, and so you know what? I'm actually going to buy some really nice ones that in the long run is going to save me some money. So I started researching, and I saw these really cool people walking around, these little white things in their ears that are wireless, you know, Apple AirPods. And I began to watch videos on these AirPods, describing them, talking about them. I was reading reviews about the AirPods. I was reading articles about them. And I was watching side-by-side comparisons between them and other Bluetooth devices. And so I finally went over to Jordan Creek Mall, and I walked into the Apple store. And what did I walk out with? Beats by Dre, right? No. I walked out with Apple AirPods, right? Even if I, you could have told me anything in that moment about other Bluetooth and what you preferred, but all I had my mind on in that moment was getting some AirPods. Maybe I should have got the Beats because every time I run, they fall out now. Anyway, but anyway, that's a different story. (laughs) But you know what? You know why I bought those? It was impossible for me to buy anything else. Why? Because I had dwelt on it. I I wanted them. I wasn't going to buy anything else. Now, that wasn't an evil desire, but pornography is the result of dwelling on a sinful desire. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted 
when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So James is saying temptations are actually lures. If you're a fisherman, that lure that you put on to catch different kinds of fish that you stick on there to get them to bite the hook, that's what temptation is. And every temptation, human beings are all tempted differently. Each of us are lured to different things. Now, when you see that lure drop into your life, you see it and you go, nope, that's not good. I know there's a hook on the end of that. And you run from it. But sometimes we look at that temptation and we go, hmm, that looks shiny. That's kind of fun. Looks nice. And then we bite into that hook and all of a sudden we're hooked before we know it because we dwelled on it. You see, when we dwell on sinful desire, yielding is just a matter of time. When we dwell on sinful desire, yielding is just a matter of time. And we're thinking about the things that we have seen. When we look on social media and movies that we watch, fantasies that we think about while we drive, the flirting at work, all these different things are going to bring about what we are dwelling on. It's everyday choices. And really a temptation is simply a test. And the question is, will you pass or fail the test? Will you continue to dwell on that desire until it becomes more? Or will you drive that desire out? Colossians 2, or Colossians, what is, I don't have that. Colossians tells us, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. To take someone captive is to drive it out with a spear. Take every thought captive, or you'll become its captive. Here's what happens. When that thought comes into your mind, instead of dwelling on it, you get that spear out and you say, out of here. I'm driving you out of the city. I'm not going to dwell on this thought. But when you dwell on it, it's as if that thought takes the spear and then turns it on you and takes you where you do not want to go. You become its captive because when you dwell on sinful desire yielding is just a matter of time you will reap what you sow galatians 6 7 and 8 says for he who sows to his own flesh will reap his flesh his flesh will give corruption but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life so what do you find yourself dwelling on what do you think about Take that thought captive and don't let it take you further. Thirdly, pornography is a result of hidden sin. Pornography is a result of hidden sin. Now, wait a minute. I thought pornography is the hidden sin. No, I'm not talking about the one that you are hiding that no one else knows about. I'm talking about the hidden sin that you don't know about, that you can't see. Because looking at explicit content is always the result of something deeper. There's a deeper sin that's going on that has led you to that moment. Maybe it's control. You say things like, I have no control over anything in my life. Yes, I have control over my job, but my marriage is a mess. Nothing is working out for me. And so I turn to these things because I can control this. 
I'm the master in this. I can do whatever I want and look for and find exactly what I want to do. And I'm in control. And no, I'm not in control of anything else in this moment. I feel like I do. Perhaps it's discontentment. Man, I hate the way that things are going on in my life. My job, my lack of a marriage, my relationship, where I thought I'd be in this life. And because I'm discontent, instead of being thankful, I'm going to turn to these things that I turn to that at least for a moment help me feel content. Because if things are going well and you are content, you're not making time to look at these things. You don't put it on your calendar. It's because you're already discontent that you're starting to turn to these things. Perhaps it's just laziness. Man, I don't want to do anything. I just want to relax. I just want to chill. And you find yourself just being so bored. People are going to bed at the house, and you stay up, and you're scrolling. You stay up, and you're looking at different things, and you're trying to escape the reality of your life into fantasy. You and I must deal with the root in order to change the fruit. What is this sin? What is the things that I'm not happy with in life that is causing me to turn to pornography as a comfort Because that's ultimately what it is. Instead of finding comfort in Christ, the God of all comfort, we turn to the things, the sinful things instead. Because pornography is the fruit, not the root. So how do we have victory? Just let me give you two things as we close out this morning. Chapter 6, verse 18, this is what it says. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from sexual immorality. So how do we have victory? We first have to start by destroying the bad fruit. We first have to start by destroying the bad fruit. Sexual sin is not to be flirted with. It is to be fleed from. Sexual sin is not to be flirted with. It's to be fleed from. And so often I think, I'm going to flirt with this. See how close I can get to it. But in reality, we need to see how far can we remain from it. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death that which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Jesus talking in Matthew 5.30 says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members than to have your whole body go into hell. What is Jesus saying? He's calling us to extreme action to remove the sin from our lives so that we can actually focus on Christ. Some of us are so caught up in it, we need to get rid of it so that we can actually transfer our desires away from those to Jesus. We need to get rid of the phone for a time. We need to put on software to make yourself open to friends to just check out your things at any time. You need to restrict yourself so that you can have greater freedom in Christ. And you're thinking, Brad, that sounds like legalism. It's not legalistic to try to pursue holiness in Christ. It's only if you're holding other people to the same standards as you've set up for yourself. Listen, I think we have this idea in our minds that godliness is getting to a place where we don't struggle anymore. But godliness is actually knowing where you struggle, where you are weak, and being able to pinpoint those things by setting up boundaries in your life. After you've done that, after you've destroyed the bad fruit, you've done away with it, secondly, you need to focus on the root. Focus on the root. 
Galatians 5, verse 16 says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not desire, you will not gratify or give in to the desires of the flesh. See, pornography is a result of sinful habits. So if you focus in on good habits, what's going to be the result? Walking with Christ, you're going to be righteous. You're going to grow in holiness. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't be able to walk by the flesh. This is my favorite verse when it comes to this. 2 Timothy 2.22. This is what it says. So flee youthful passions, or perhaps your text says Flee youthful lust. So again, we're told to flee it. And this is talking about a fugitive who has escaped from prison, not looking back, running away. But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say run and pursue nothing. It tells you what you're running towards. It says, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So it's telling us, listen, you need to Flee, but replace. And you'll see this all throughout the scriptures. It's not just a putting away of sin, but replacing it with good things of God. It's running from it and moving towards something, pursuing this. But then look what it also says. Along with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's not meant to be done alone. Listen, when I when I was struggling with all these things, and I'm not just speaking in past tense, it's still an ongoing struggle, but God has given me sustained victory. I was never up until that point had a really thriving relationship with God and his word. And once I started building into my life the disciplines of reading the word of God, talking to God, you know what began to happen? God began to change my desires. And my desire for pornography began to decrease because I had an overwhelming greater desire for Jesus. And it eclipsed those, removed, didn't remove them totally, but it was greater than my desire for sinful things. But it had to be replaced by Jesus. But it wasn't meant to be done alone. One of the lies of the enemy is when you're struggling with sexual sin is to say to you, you're the only one who struggles with this. No one else struggles with this. Oh, sure, people have some struggles, but not like you do. You're unique in this. You can't talk to anyone. No, no, Paul is saying, listen, when you commit sexual sin, it's done in isolation, but pursuing purity is meant to be done in in community. Together, he says, along with those. That's other people who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So we're working together with each other, pursuing purity, finding victory, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, we go to battle. Why? Why? Why would I ever do that? Why would I ever live this way? Look at the last verse of the chapter. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Why? You're bought with a price. That's speaking of the price that was paid for you to be bought back from the slave market of sin. You're on the block ready to be sold. And Jesus comes up and says, that guy's a mess, that woman's a mess, but I'm going to pay the price for their freedom. That's going to be my mess now. And I'm going to take them 
and they're going to try to run away back to it, but I paid the price. And this is how Jesus did it, by burying our sins in his body on the tree, taking our place, paying the price so that we could have freedom. So why battle? Why do all these things? Why give the effort? Because the price has already been paid for you. So honor God with your body, he says. And notice Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to pay the price so that you can get into a relationship, and now by your cleaning up and good doing, the price will fully be paid. No, he says, the price is paid in full. You are completely belong to me. You've been set free from the power of sin, from the dominion of sin in your life. Now work with me to be set free from the power that it has over you, and you belong to me. Jesus, thank you that you paid the price for us. The power, the dominion. We, we, I had no chance of saying no to any of these things before I knew you. No chance. I was completely enslaved to my sin master. But now, although my sin still indwells and I'm still fighting every day, I have the ability because I have a new master who has paid the price for my freedom to say no not in my own strength, but because Jesus, because God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus through his death and resurrection has paid the price that the Holy Spirit resides inside of me so I can have freedom and victory in this life. Oh God, I pray for Sailorville Church that we would pursue purity. I pray, God, that we wouldn't judge the impurities of the world, but we would look at the impurities in our own hearts. Think about where we fall short and cry out to you for forgiveness. God, I pray for the one that's here this morning that doesn't know you, that they would trust you for a relationship. But I pray for the one that's here that is struggling and caught in the thick of it. May they begin the road to healing, restoration that you offer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.